When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Gene Hamilton. Gene is a former pro downhill racer who created one of the first mountain bike skills courses in the late 1990s. Today, Better Ride hosts clinics all around the U.S. teaching regular riders and pros alike how to ride faster. Thanks for joining us, Gene. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into mountain bike racing? Well, that, that's uh, <laughs> kind of a funny story. So um, I was um, a professional or trying to be a professional snowboard racer. I mean, I basically, like a lot of professional mountain bikers, like me when I was a professional mountain biker, mm-hmm. I quote was a professional, but I wasn't getting paid, <laughs> right. you know. And that I was, was spinning all you did, so that, that made you a pro, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> exactly. And I call it a I ski competed. bomb or a snowboard bomb. Well, and I, yeah, you know, and I did well in competitions, but they didn't pay enough to pay the rent, you know? Right. So um, got my first mountain bike in 1989, and then um, I think it was the summer of 1992, my mountain bike was getting dated suspension mm-hmm. had come out, you know, and right. the front suspension had come out and there were some cool things that I wanted. And I happened to be, um, at the grocery store at this little grocery store, ideal market in Boulder, Colorado. And there was a bike shop next door and the KHS, um, rep was in there talking to the owner. And when he walked out, I go, Hey dude, you know, it was like, how do I get a sponsorship or something wow. like that? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, I laid it down. You know, I'm a pro mountain bike, a pro snowboarder, and uh, you know, I want a bike at a discount. You know, because because <laughs> right. I'm arrogant and, and a jerk. Yeah. You know, yeah. I guess. So anyway, he he said, "Oh, you know," he goes, "Do you live here?" I said, "Yeah, but I'm about to move to San Diego." And he said, "Well, when you get to San Diego, find a KH, KHS dealer." Mm-hmm. and ask them about the farm team. We'll give you a bike for wholesale. And then if you do five races, we'll take, we'll give you another 10% back. I'm oh, like, wow. sweet. You know, <laughs> I knew nothing <laughs> yeah. about mountain bike racing, yeah. but I just wanted to deal on a bike and I figured I'll do a couple races. It'll be good training for snowboarding probably. Yeah. So I moved to uh, San Diego to work for a friend of mine and I went to the local KHS dealer, a really nice older man. And, Asked him to be on the team, and he said that sounds great. And he I said, "Seen oh, you biking or anything? You didn't like show up with race no. results. You're just like, hey, I'm a guy. Can I be on your yeah, team? Exactly. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a great deal. I wish other other companies should do this though, because I think it was a great deal for KHS too. Because yeah. you got to remember, KHS makes the same amount of money whether they sell it to the shop or they sell it to me at a discount. You know, right. true. So this really nice." Um, owner of the bike shop sets me up on the team and he says, Oh, by the way, there's this woman on this, on the team named Marla. She's lived here for a while mm-hmm. and you know, I'll introduce you to her and she can show you the local trails. And I'm like, cool. You know, sounds good. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, uh, I met this Marla woman at the bike shop and, uh, she was all covered in dirt, like a mountain biker, you know, and, and <laughs> you know, I was just like, okay, interesting enough. And we set up a time to meet, and go for a ride. And um, again, remember, I knew nothing about mountain bike racing at the time. <laughs> right. So the guy at the shop said, you know, this Marla woman's an expert. You know, she can probably teach you a lot and whatnot. You know, and being the young, arrogant person I was at the time, I'm like, I'm a pro mount- a pro snowboarder. I used to race BMX. And back when I raced BMX, they were all just two foot tall tabletops on the tracks. You know, they, they, they didn't have near the skill BMX requires nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Not even close. 
but anyway, you know, so, and I, obviously I was a, probably a bit sexist back then. So we set up this time to go ride and, and I pick her up and, and I'm hungry. So on the way there, I'm like, Oh, look at Taco Bell. <laughs> on the way Great to do this ride, ride. Yeah. exactly and she's looking at me like i'm on drugs you know she's like what are you doing <laughs> you know so anyway we, we get to the trailhead and she's like okay follow me you know and i'm like okay you know i'm like i'm like remember man she thinks she's an expert don't hurt her ego by smashing her you know yeah, yeah. um so we start riding and you know like most mountain bike rides it starts with the climb and you know halfway up the climb this woman's just totally lost me. She's so far ahead of me. I can't even <laughs> see her, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we get to the top of the climb. Or I get to the top of the climb and she's up there just doing circles on the little flat space on top of the climb. And she's like, you're doing better than most of the boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I still to this day don't know if she was being nice or if I was actually doing better than most of the boys. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she proceeded to kick my ass all over that ride. It was, it was really bad for my ego and probably great for her ego. Right. Um, and probably just what I needed for my ego, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, keep it in check a little bit. So um, after that, she um, told me about some races coming up. And she's like, you know, you want to go with me to this race? And I said, sure. So um, we went to this race in Temecula, California. And... Um, you know, I, I'm telling her, hey, I used to race BMX, you know, I should probably sign up for the expert class. And it's a cross country <laughs> race, by the way. Oh, geez. <laughs> right. And, and she, she, in the nicest way she could, she's like, Gene, you know, it's really hard to downgrade once you upgrade. Mm. You know, why don't you start in beginner class? And, you know, if you do well, you can always upgrade, you know. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to smoke these poor guys. This isn't really fair, you know, but <laughs> I'm just sandbagging here, but yeah, okay. you know, I'm totally sandbagging here. So we get to the race and, you know, I, we do the sign up and all that. And you know how they, uh, in cross country racing, they have like staging, you know, like all the expert 30 to 39 meet here, all the, mm -hmm. you know, so I line up with my little group of, of beginners, 19 to 29 or whatever the heck the age group was. And, um, I look around and I'm the only guy without clipless pedals. And this is 1992. Remember, right. Yeah, clipless pedals yeah. probably just come out in 1992. Right. Uh, I'm, it might be 93 again. I don't know the exact year, but, um, you know, I look around, I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. And then I look around and I'm also the only guy without shaved legs. I'm like, these guys are beginners. And I start looking at their legs and like, they've got calf muscles as big as my head, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> these guys are beginners. I'm like, uh Oh, you know? Yeah. And then, so then the race starts and, and, um, I, we had pre-ridden the course. Marlon and I had pre-ridden pre that course. Um, the, I think the day before, or maybe a couple of days before. Um, so when we pre-rode the course and I thought this was going to be like the race on the climbs, we would chit chat. Mm -hmm. And then on the downhill, we would, you know, kind of bomb the downhill to the yeah, best of our ability style. Kind of, yeah, kind of enduro style, right? So I thought that was what racing was like, right? <laughs> so, you know, the, the gun goes off and these guys with calves as big as my head, they just start sprinting as hard as they can. And I'm like, uh oh, yeah. you know, it's like I'm immediately <laughs> in last place. And I, I remember snowboard racing is a 20 to 30 second event, right? Mm -hmm. I've never done an endurance sport in my life. And I know I've got asthma. You know, like I have an oh, inhaler geez. and everything, you know? Yeah. So all of a sudden I'm going as hard as I can and I, and it never relented. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, I was expecting that we'd catch our breath at some point, but no, <laughs> you just go as hard as you freaking can for an hour and a half, Yeah. you know, and along the way, because I guess of my old BMX riding and probably more probably from snowboarding. I was passing a few people here and there in the downhills, you know, and as I recall, the numbers might be a little bit off, but there were 25 riders in my little beginner class. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the way there, I'm expecting to win, you know, by a big margin. And I got 13th oh, out of wow. 25, right? Middle of the it's, pack? Not exact bad. middle of the pack, right? <laughs> and honestly, it was one of the most proud days of my life in my sporting career. I mean, oh, I'd wow. won plenty of snowboard races, 
But snowboard races don't require the kind of commitment a cross-country mountain bike race mm. does. Mm. And I had never pushed my body that hard in my life. You know, and honestly, I didn't know you could push your body that hard and not like have a heart attack or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just totally naive to the whole experience. And, you know, so, yeah, I was really proud, you know, even though I expected to win and got 13th, you know, just the fact I didn't die was mm -hmm. kind of being right, you know, and I beat half of those shave leg kids with their <laughs> with their uh, clipless pedals. You know, I mean, I had toe clips. You know? Yeah, I mean, Jeez. <laughs> so uh, and like, you know, regular s skateboard shoes or something like I didn't even have any specialized shoes or anything, you know. So. Uh, so anyway. That was my first race. And, you know, as much as miserable as I made it sound, it was actually a lot of fun. Cause like I said, I'd never pushed my body that hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from that point on, I was just addicted. I'm like, this is freaking cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, and, uh, Marla, um, it's Marla Streb, by the way, she was a pro downhill racer in the, uh, this is before she became a pro, but she was a pro downhill racer in the nineties and early two thousands. Oh, cool. And, um, so Marla during that race was, um, I'll think of her name in a second. There was a, a factory KHS rider there. Um, she's from Bale, Colorado. She's a really nice woman. And, mm -hmm. uh, I can't think of her name right now. I'll think of it in a second, maybe, but anyway, Marla was trying to pass her to prove, you know, like maybe she deserves to be on the factory team, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and while Marla was passing her, she broke her collarbone. She crashed and broke her collarbone. So that was my introduction. Marla or the, the other woman? Marla did. Oh, geez. Yeah. So that was my introduction to mountain bike racing. I, you know, <laughs> I suffered more than I've ever suffered in my life. And the woman that brought me to the race, this so-called expert woman, she broke her collarbone. I'm like, <laughs> this is an interesting sport. Yeah. It almost so sounds then, like Marla purposely didn't, she didn't prepare you for that race, right? She kind of wanted you yeah. to suffer yeah i think, really, I like, think she saw ego. my ego yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i really do i mean and you know i owe her for that because i mean that was a good favor you know i think we all need to be humbled a bit yeah you know or not maybe not every day but often <laughs> right. we need to be humbled there are times yeah so then we we did a couple more small races together and uh we started going to big bear which is uh outside of LA up in the mountains and, um, in the San Gabriel mountains. And, um, there I did my first downhill race and there, because of my, my cocky attitude, I signed up for sport instead of beginner. And, uh, <laughs> and I did okay though. I did a lot better. I got like fifth out of 30 or something. So I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. You know, I probably, uh, you know, maybe this is better for me. And then and just, this is a funny story, but, uh, a, a couple of weeks after that race where I did a like cross country race on Sunday and downhill on Saturday or vice versa, forget how it was back then. The guys at team big bear invented this thing called downhill mania hmm. where you're going to race three different downhills over the weekend and you're going to go down four at a time and the top two keep advancing. Uh -huh, okay. Okay. So we get there and it's raining and I don't know, 45 degrees at the base of the mountain Ooh. and then halfway up the lift it's sleeting on us at the very top it's snowing well you're a snowboarder so you're probably stoked right well yeah except for you know <laughs> i'm from alabama i hate cold weather i really really hate cold weather and i hate rainy cold wet cold weather probably the most okay so and I had nothing, you know, I had my little, oh, part of that KHS team deal was we had to, uh, again, at wholesale prices, we had to buy a little KHS jersey and KHS shorts, you know, <laughs> okay. and, and this is just Lycra. Yeah. And that's all I had with me. Oh, wow. Right. You know, like I didn't have any of my snowboarding gear. You know, I was in San Diego for the summer. I didn't bring <laughs> my snowboard gear from Colorado. Yeah. You know, all that was in storage back in Colorado. So I bought some sweatpants. I thought that'd be a good idea. <laughs> and that was a really bad idea because when sweatpants get really wet, they weigh like 6,000 pounds. Right. And they go from your waist to about your knees, which is really <sighs> dangerous when you're riding downhill in the mud. Yeah, no kidding. So 
I literally, I just quit after we had to do three qualifying runs. I think one qualifying run on each track or something. And after my first qualifying run, I'm just like, this isn't fun at all. This is miserable. Yeah. So I quit and, uh, and just cheered Marlon. And I think she either won or got second. She did quite well, Oh, cool. but that was pretty much introduction to racing. And then I moved back to Colorado that winter to, to continue my snowboard, uh, racing and um but i was so into mountain bike racing that um i I bartended for a living while i was trying to make it as a snowboarder Mm -hmm. so i would go out at three in the morning after bartending and snowshoe up snowmass mountain you know And, and i don't know if you ever snowshoed but it's the most most pain for least amount of reward thing i've ever done in my life (laughs) right you know but but it was really fun because you know it was it was only me and the snowcat drivers out there at two in the morning and everything yeah. is so still you know so it was but anyway that's how into it I was I did that all winter and then the next summer I stayed in Colorado and I competed in uh, the Corp series the Colorado Off Road Point series which later was sold to uh, Eric Jean and became the Mountain States Cup okay and. I miss those people. That was, uh, that was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of early success in racing, kind of your introduction and kind of sounds like too, you were figuring it out as you go. I mean, you did have Marla and I'm sure there were others who kind of mentored you and, and showed you along the way. But then it also sounds like um, from what I've read that you reached sort of uh, a wall in terms of your own mountain bike skills development. How did you end up going about researching proper mountain bike skills? <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> so, um, one of the, um, that winter, Marla, uh, got a contract with, um, Iron Horse. Okay. Um, to race professionally. And her, um, the main person on that team was a guy named, uh, Toby Henderson, who, was one of my BMX heroes back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. So I would ask people like Toby. I remember asking him also because we lived in San Diego. Sometimes uh, I would ride with Mike King um, just on cross country rides and stuff. But Mike King was, I don't know if you know his name, but he was one of the best uh, American downhillers and a great uh, BMXer before that. Mm-hmm. And Mike King was just, he's a really quiet guy, you know, like a lot of people thought he was a jerk, but after getting to know him a little bit, he was just really, really quiet, you know, like yeah. he's just one of those people that's not very sociable. So, um, mm-hmm. so anyway, I would, I would ask him and I'd ask Toby and they would say things like let off the brakes, you wuss or, um, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, well, I tried that and I went, you know, I was asking specifically about cornering technique yeah. and I asked Toby and Toby literally said, let off the brakes, you wuss. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I tried that and I went flying into the woods. Like that right, didn't work right. too well. <laughs> So, you know, I'm like, there has to be a technique. And so many top pros at the time said, everyone's got their own style, which was true at the time. It was definitely true at the time. But being at at that time, by then, I was a, um, this is quite a few, you know, this is four years. This is, you know, in the, I turned pro in 1995. And, you know, my, the story before was from 92 or three. So, you know, this was in you know a couple years later and by then i'd become a snowboard coach and that's what i was doing for a living was coaching the steamboat springs winter sports club snowboard team so okay i had learned through some of the best snowboard coaches in the world you know the people that coach our u.s snowboard team that mm-hmm. yeah there might be a lot of different styles but there's one style that wins races and all the other styles don't win races you know so ah, like right. what you want to be what you want to do is become great at this particular style. And it's not so much a style as it's a series of, you know, techniques, basically mm-hmm. body position, yeah. vision. So, you know, after asking all these pros who said everyone has their own style and they, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure this out for myself then because there's got to be the right way. Mm-hmm. So I'm a bit of a nerd. So the first thing I did was I bought a bunch of mountain biking books, you know, by, mm-hmm. by great writers, like people like Ned Overend and stuff. Yeah. But, but those books weren't actually much of a help. I mean, I learned a lot about strategy and cross country racing and that sort of thing, 
But if you think about it, people like Ned Overend basically invented mountain biking technique. Mm -hmm. And often the people, like if you think about it, I don't think anybody here would take a ski lesson from the guy that invented snow skiing, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. the, the equipment has changed a great deal and there's been a lot of study on technique, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm sure whatever techniques the first skiers had was not near what the techniques they're using to win a world cup these days in world right. cup ski racing, you know? Yep. Yep. So, um, those books, as far as skills, they really weren't that good, you know, and these weren't coaches. These were just really good riders. So often they have trouble explaining what they're doing also. Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and if you look back at it, I always encourage my, my students to do this because, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting pretty old and, uh, I realize that most people have no idea nowadays what mountain biking was like in the nineties. Mm -hmm. So I tell them to go back and go to YouTube and type in, you know, 1996 World Cup downhill race or, or mm -hmm. you know, and I go watch. You'll see that no one knew what they were doing with the, <laughs> with the exception of, of uh, Nico Vulio, you know, Nicholas Vulio. He's the uh, nickname is the alien 10 time world champion. Mm -hmm. He knew what he was doing. And that's why he would win by 10 seconds in a downhill yeah. race. Wow. Often, right. You know, so. So I started studying Nico and then I realized, you know, a very similar sport is motocross, but motocross has been around a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the people that coach it, they've studied it. They aren't like the, you know, racers that are just figuring out the sport. They've had years of studying what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right. So I actually learned a lot. I had two books. One was from, uh, Jeremy McGrath, uh, from his coach. Mm -hmm. And the other one, I think, was a guy that coached uh, uh, Ricky Carmichael, the GOAT. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I learned a lot from those motocross books. And then, and and watching video of Nico, though. And you can still watch a video of Nico in 1996 and say, well, yep, he's doing, other than this one thing that, that I think Nathan Rennie kind of invented that I'll get to in a minute. Other than that, Pretty much everything Nico was doing in '96 is still what you want to be doing. Like Nico had oh, figured wow. it out. Wow! Yeah, it's pretty Even pretty with amazing. The equipment that was available then too. I mean, I imagine that that made it harder. Oh, definitely, definitely. Our bikes were way too short. Our head angles were too steep. Uh, we had these little tiny 26 inch wheels. I don't know if you ever heard of those things, <laughs> but you know, um, I'm, I'm half joking. But yeah, so. And then, though, there was this guy, he was one of the best downhillers in the world from Australia. And he was, he was 18, I believe, at the time. I became somewhat friends with him. And um, his name's Nathan Rennie. Hmm. And uh, he went on to, he was one of the first members of the Santa Cruz Syndicate uh, race team. And he did win the World Cup overall one year in downhill. Phenomenal athlete. I noticed in a video that he and Nathan, I mean, he and Cedric Gracia were both doing the same thing with their hips. Like basically at the time I thought they were sticking their hips to the outside of the, the corner. Mm -hmm. What they're actually doing is letting the bike lean over while they stayed on top of the bike, oh, you right. know, but, but, you know, basically their hips were beside their saddle in a corner, not beneath their saddle. If that makes okay. sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I asked Nathan why he did that. And he said, because it gives you more traction. And so I started, actually, I started doing it before I asked Nathan and I realized it gave me a lot more traction. I asked Nathan about it. He, he, he would give me a few more tips because Nathan would come to the U S and if, unless Greg Menar showed up, Nathan would usually win, you know, the, the U S national races. Mm -hmm. So Nathan was, you know, he was crushing it back then. So it's kind of funny. I was 30, I was like, this was like 98. So I was 33 years old and I'm learning from an 18 year old, you know, it's, yeah. uh, but anyway, Nathan really helped a lot. And to this day, and, um, you know, Nathan's technique is still spot on. The biggest thing Nathan did, uh, different than Nico was Nathan, um, hinged. So as his back is literally parallel to planet earth. You know, if that makes, instead of being yeah. more vertical to planet earth. Yeah. And what that does is it gives you just so much negative travel in your arms, like sag in your suspension. So as you don't get yanked, right. like if there's a rocky corner 
if your if your arms are straight as your wheels go down that rock, you're going to get yanked forward. Mm-hmm, right. If your arms are bent, all you have to do is slowly extend your arms as your wheel goes away from your body mm-hmm. and your upper body doesn't move at all. Hmm. And he was the first one to do that and do it from top to bottom. So anyway, you know, I owe a lot to Nathan Rennie. I learned a lot from that guy and from those motorcycle coaches. Hmm. Yeah, cool. So yeah, it sounds like you studied a number of athletes and looked even to other sports uh, to kind of figure out what what they had figured out. Were there any surprises initially or aha moments where you're like, oh, wow, I never, never would have thought of that or like that seems really counterintuitive? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, two. The first one that was just mind boggling to me was the concept of counter steering. You know, um, so in both those motocross books I was telling you about and a book by um, by a, a road motorcycle coach named Keith Code. He's a very famous, you know, the crotch rocket type racer guys. You know, okay. he coaches that. They all mentioned this thing called counter steering. And they all said that on a two wheeled vehicle going above and they use like 12 miles an hour going above 12 this is the physics of how a bike turns and we're all doing it a lot of us just don't know that we're doing it okay and so you know i'm like i'm pretty sure i'm not counter steering because counter steering to me is like if you've ever watched mert lawwell or you one of the you know or or flat track motorcycle racing where they're going around a flat oval on the dirt Mm -hmm. you know and their wheels turn to the right their, their, their front wheel mm-hmm. is basically steered to the right, but they're making a left turn. Yeah. To me, that's counter steering. Right. And I'm pretty right. sure my wheel wasn't doing that, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but then through a lot of experiments, I realized that I am counter steering, but I, I kind of, for my courses, I've changed the name to counter pressure because okay. we only truly counter steer at the initiation of a turn. Yeah. Once we initiate that turn, the wheel somewhat flops in and what we're doing is with counter pressure, we're fighting that flop. If okay. we let the wheel flop in, our bike would stand up and we would either high side, you know, f- fly over the top of our bike mm-hmm. or we would go straight again, but our turn would be over. So we do use a counter steering motion to initiate the turn. And in, in my courses, it's also for my students, one of the biggest aha moments. I mean, some of them know it. My students that ride motorcycles – sometimes know it, but a lot of students don't. And for Mm -hmm. them, it was just like me. It was just like, it opens up just this whole other world and makes you understand cornering. Yeah. And you know, anyway, you asked me for an aha moment. That was one of them. Yeah. And the next one, and this to this day cracks me up. And this is why, this is why there's coaches in almost every sport. Um, I, I like to use skiing as the example of this. Snow skiing, half the reason I got into snowboarding is snow skiing is the least intuitive thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) You know, like your instincts tell you to do the exact opposite things that you want to do on skis to ski correctly. Yeah. You know, the biggest one being leaning back. You know, if when you're fearful, the human wants to move away from danger. Mm -hmm. So on snow skis, you know, when you're going downhill, if you get nervous, you want to lean back. Yeah which is the worst thing you can do on a snow <laughs> uh, on skis or a snowboard actually. Yeah. And, I'm teaching um, my son how to rollerblade and it's the same thing. He wants to lean back and I keep saying, yeah, lean forward, lean forward. Yeah, exactly. And leaning forward intuitively feels scary as crap. You right. know, yeah. you think you're going to flip over forward. Mm-hmm. So, so it turns out it's the same thing on mountain biking, you know, like when, when, when I first turned pro, most of us would brag, even with our little 26 inch rear wheels, we would have skid marks from our tire on our butt because that's how, that's how far back we were getting on these steep hills, you know, but it turns out what we need to do, which does still involve your butt being behind the seat on a steep hill, but we need to keep our weight on the pedals. And I learned that from a motorcycle book. Mm. And I found when I kept my weight on my pedals that I was, had much more control and felt more in balance. And I remember I did a course in bootleg Canyon, one of my downhill courses and to get more people into the course, uh, as I was telling you before, my friend, Marla, uh, Streb w- was really famous. So I had her, 
uh, hired her to be my assistant coach. Mm. Right. So we spent the weekend camp next to each other in a little Volkswagen vans in the parking lot. And we would coach during the day. And at night we would discuss technique because I'd been coaching Marla off and on more with her mental game, not with her skills. Uh, um, yeah. And just a shout out to this person. One of the first people to coach mountain bike skills in a structured way was a woman named Blair Lombardi. Hmm. And um, she had taught Marla. And I remember riding behind Marla and just being like, oh, my gosh, you know, like she's perfect. Like her skill, you know, it's just spot on. I was yeah. always amazed by her <laughs> skill, you know, um, once she had worked with this woman, Blair Lombardi. As far as the weight on the pedals, that was the aha moment for me. I'm discussing, you know, the course before before it starts with Marla. Obviously, mm -hmm. I need to make sure she's on the same page I am with the coaching. And I talk about, hey. I learned this cool new thing. I learned it from a motocross book. Uh -huh. I'm trying to keep all my weight on my pegs or on my pedals, you know? Yeah, yeah. And she looked at me and she laughed. She goes, Oh, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> and I'm like, well, thanks for telling me. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wasn't doing that for years. Right. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things, you know, as I mentioned before, it's where the instincts get in the way because mm -hmm. man, I still, to this day, I tell my students, I've been teaching, you know, since almost since I started better ride, I started better ride in 99. I think, uh, I started, I learned the, the weight on the pedals thing in like 90, uh, in like 2001 or something like that. But, uh, even to this day, so for, for now, for 20 years, I've been teaching people to keep all their weight in the pedals, no matter what's going on, mm -hmm. other than maybe in a manual. But, you know, that's you're not it's a different story. But um, I still when I get scared, the first thing that happens is that butt starts to scoot back. Right. Because that's a human instinct to move away from danger. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't matter that I know to stay centered and it doesn't matter that I've even I mean, it somewhat matters. I've been practicing it forever because I don't get back that much and I usually immediately catch myself and get centered again. Mm -hmm. But it just shows you how powerful our instincts are. Right. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, what's the best way to, to counteract that? Is it just practice and, and constantly reminding yourself? Yeah, exactly. You know, and doing drills. You know, one one place I always work on weight in the pedals. Like here in Moab, I live on top of a hill. So unless I want to ride um, Pipe Dream, which is basically in my backyard, mm -hmm. every other ride I do for my house, I start descending on pavement. Okay. That's the perfect place to work on it. Otherwise, you're bored. You know, <laughs> right? I remember the, the, um, the Iron Horse Classic years ago had part of their cross-country course had a downhill section on pavement. And I remember thinking, this is an abomination, you know, like it's okay if a climb was on pavement, maybe, yeah. but you can't have a descent in a mountain bike race on pavement. You know, yeah, why waste a downhill? It's why waste a downhill. Exactly. But unfortunately we all have probably areas where we're descending on a dirt road in a straight line and it's boring as crap, you know, or we're descending on a little piece of pavement. Those are great places to work on it because otherwise you'd just be bored because you can't, if it's a gnarly trail and you're really focused on your weight and your pedals, you're probably not looking ahead. You're probably doing something else wrong and you're probably going to crash. So that's where so many mountain bikers make the mistake of thinking they can actually ride their bike and practice at the same time on trail. Mm. Interesting. You know, yeah. because there's just way too much self-preservation when you're on trail kicking in, mm -hmm. you know, and you forget. I mean, even with my students, I say, okay, what's our purpose? Okay. You know, purpose is looking through these corners. We get to the bottom. I'm like, did you look through those corners? I did the first couple, but then I, you know, I, I got distracted and, you know, <laughs> the, you know, you forget, you know, like basketball players. If Shaquille O'Neal is on your team, you don't practice layups with Shaquille O'Neal guarding the basket. Right. <laughs> Even though you're a pro and you've been practicing layups since you were six years old, you still practice with no one guarding the basket. So you get the mechanics down correctly. Yeah. You bring Does that it make down. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they might spend, you know, 10 or 20% of their time playing against Shaquille O'Neal. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the time is doing drills Right. And that's the only way to create procedural memory 
that just fires. Because what we want is no matter how gnarly that trail is, our body just does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Right. And, and the only way to do that is to practice with an eye on perfection. You know, if you're practicing at 80% right, you might say, dude, I'm doing it 80% right. And that does sound good. Yeah. But another way of saying that is you're practicing doing it 20% wrong. Right. You know, so it's, it's imperative that we spend time practicing off the trail. Mm. So we get these, the procedural memory, procedural memory is like a recipe in your brain for how to do something such as a manual. Yeah. Right. Um, you've got to get that recipe wired in your brain. So it is the circuit that fires whenever you want that front wheel to come up while coasting, just the manual circuit fires, Yeah, not the yank up on those handlebars circuit that you probably have <laughs> like I did when I, cause that's what I did. You know, when I, when I first rode rough trails, like porcupine rim, I would just yank the front wheel off the ground over all the bumps cause it worked, yeah. but it's, it's terribly taxing. And it throws you off balance. It's really not the best way to do it, but it does get the wheel up, you know? And that's a lot of us have a lot of muscle memory built up over years and years and years of doing that. Exactly. So, and that's why even when you know and understand something, you often don't do it. Like I, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've had, I've had so many people come up to me. And say, oh, you coach mountain biking? What do you teach? Do you teach this, this? I go, yeah, that's what some of these I teach. He goes, oh, you know, why would I take your course? I know all that. And then I always it, just yeah. say, and then they do. And I, and I know they know all that. Not everything I coach, but I know they know a fair amount of it. Mm -hmm. But then I always just say, I'm like, you know all this. And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, why aren't you doing it then? And they're always like, oh, I do it. I go, no, you don't. I'm like, I just watched you. You don't do this, <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, I'll break the video camera out if you want, and I'll video you. And, you know, you tell me if you're doing what you just said you're doing, you know? <laughs> right. And I'm the same way. I mean, you, you know, um, I think we all feel like we're better than we are, mm -hmm. if that makes sense to you. You know, like yeah. when I was a snowboarder, we were working on the half pipe one day and I remember telling all my friends, I'm like, man, that first, the first hit in that half pipe, it's awesome. I'm getting like three feet out, you know, mm -hmm. meaning I'm getting three feet above the half pipe. Yeah. And they all looked at me, all my friends would look at me kind of quizzically and I'm like, they're just jealous. You know what I mean? But right. they, they gave me this look like you're not getting three feet out. And I'm just like, they're just jealous, you know, cause I'm so damn good. Yeah. And then that, that evening we watched the video and I was getting maybe six inches out of that half pipe. <laughs> right. But it sure as heck felt like I was getting three feet out of that half pipe. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think a lot of us, because we know, and this is one of the biggest things I try to instill in my students, just because you know something means almost nothing. You have to be able to put that what you know into action. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to put an action on the gnarliest of trails. If you're looking down while you're riding a pretty boring dirt road, you're probably going to get away with it. Like, you know, you, you know, you might go a little slower than you would if you're looking ahead, but you're mm -hmm. probably not going to crash or anything. Right. But if you're looking down in that rooty, rocky, gnarly section, then you're, there's going to be a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you need, everything needs to be ingrained so much that we can do it in the nasty of, of conditions and we're not thinking about doing it. Our body just does it. Right. Yeah. You make a good point. And I think, was it Yoda that said knowing is not doing, you know, I mean like that, that's yeah. just cause you know, it doesn't mean you do it and we're all human. I mean, we can point to any number of examples in our lives where it's like, we know, we know healthy foods to eat, but do we always eat healthy foods? No. <laughs> so and it, and it shows you the power of habit, right? right? Exactly. I'm marrying a woman who has a 12 year old daughter who I love. Clara hates when I curse. Mm -hmm. So I do my best to not curse in front of her, mm -hmm. but I still curse in front of her because it's a habit. Right. You know what I mean? And then I'm always apologetic and I catch myself, but that's the thing. Like I know not to cuss in front of my daughter, you know, even mm -hmm. if she, even if, even if she didn't 
find it so offensive, it's just not a good thing you want to teach your right. child. You right, know? Right. It's like, but I still do it because it's a habit. I mean, I'm getting better again with practice. I'm getting better, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but that's, you know, I think we got a little bit off topic there, but that's, <laughs> no, these are, these are life lessons. Well, but, two of the concepts that you mentioned uh, so far, body positioning, and you also talked about cornering and about steering. Another thing that I feel like you uh, incorporate into your training and your coaching is this idea of conservation of momentum on the trail. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how do you see sort of maximizing speed while minimizing your effort? Yeah, you know, this is an excellent topic. And um, it, it's interesting too, because, you know, you, you asked, you know, a lot of my students sign up so they can learn to ride faster. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older and, and my, so my students have gotten older, that's not even true so much. I think most <laughs> of my students sign up because they want to be more confident and have more fun. Okay. But, a good percentage, you know, still want to get faster. And, and well, excuse me, I think everyone wants to get faster, but they don't want to get recklessly faster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, like right. they would love, you know, if they could do this cross country ride in, in two hours instead of two and a half, they would love that, but they don't want to, you know, risk their neck to do that. If you yeah. know, that makes sense to you. Yeah. You or know? maybe they see their buddies, right? I mean, a lot of us you yeah. know, ride with others and group rides and we feel like, Oh, you know, I don't want to be the slowest guy in the bunch. And you look at other people and you're like, how are they able to, you know, beat me down the hill so badly? all the time. What am I doing it's, wrong here? Exactly. You know, and I read a lot of philosophy. Um, and, um, one of my, um, one of the most interesting things that I still struggle with a little bit is the concept that there is no good and there is no bad. It's just what we label things. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and this is a great example. As I mentioned, I have asked that, you know, for a mountain bike racer, that's a pretty horrible thing to have. But boy, for a coach, what a wonderful thing to have because I realized I wasn't going to outpedal anyone. You know, mm-hmm. remember I raced across for those listening that weren't around mountain biking in the nineties, in the nineties, everyone did everything, you know, like if, if you signed up for a race on the same bike, you would often do a hill climb downhill and across country race. And right before I got into the sport, it kind of died right about the time I got in the sport. Mm-hmm. They often had trials competitions. Oh, so right. literally you would do a trials competition, a cross country race, a downhill and maybe a hill climb in the same weekend on the same bike, <laughs> um, which is pretty awesome. Honestly, I kind of wish it was still that way. Cause there was yeah. a lot more, a lot more intermixing of tribes kind of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, now yeah. it's like, you know, the downhill tribe and the enduro tribe and the cross country tribe. And they kind of don't, don't even know each other, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which is, which is, it's kind of sad. So anyway, I realized I wasn't going to outpedal people. So I had to become more efficient mm-hmm. and I was out riding with um, a buddy of mine. We were both sport cross country racers at the time as well before I started coaching and uh, mountain biking. And we were on uh, a trail probably a lot of listeners are familiar with. It's called um, Mary's Loop and Lion's Loop in, uh, in Fruta, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we're, we were out on Lions. And my buddy, he always beat me, not by much, but, I mean, he would definitely beat me by, you know, two or three minutes in an hour and a half race, which actually is a fair amount of time, I guess. He realized that on this kind of tricky section that had a lot of little short ups and downs and a lot of little corners – that he was in my way, you know? And so finally he's just like, am I in your way? You know, you can go ahead. And I'm like, okay, which I thought was odd. Cause this guy's way fitter than me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And after he let me go ahead, after about two minutes, I turn around and he's way the heck back there. Yeah. You know, he's just way back there. And, um, so I started realizing that, you know, my background growing up with my, the two biggest things I loved growing up were skateboarding and uh, BMX. And then I got into snowboarding when I was in my twenties and um, through all three of those sports, I learned how to work with the terrain to my advantage, mm-hmm. you know, pumping, contouring, which is kind of like pumping, but you're not using as much energy. You're not trying to gain speed. You're trying to just keep the wheels on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I started watching my buddy, And I realized 
he was so incredibly stiff on that bike. Mm-hmm. Like literally whatever the bike did, he did, which means if his rear wheel suddenly gained two feet, his <laughs> head and chest suddenly gained two feet, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not very efficient. You know, it takes a lot of strength to or a lot of energy to move, you know, someone's head, chest and hips up two feet off the ground. Yeah. Whereas on the same little two foot bump, my hips weren't moving because I was just sucking it up with my legs and my arms, mm-hmm. you know, and then there, there's so many little things like that, that will make you so much more efficient on the bike. And one big thing though, is, is looking ahead. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's so funny because it's the most over talked about and underutilized thing I've ever seen in my life. Like everybody knows to look ahead. Right. And 90% of mountain bikers, I believe think they are looking ahead. Mm-hmm. But if you watch, they're, they're simply not. I mean, it's, it's really sad. I was at the, um, I think it was 2010 or 2011 national championships were in, uh, at Sol Vista, Colorado, which is now Granby ranch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the cross country race, there were these three, wide open. I mean, we're talking like 50 foot radius corners that had a small berm on them. Uh-huh. And I watched as the, the guy who, the three guys who got first, second and third in the national championship cross country race came through those corners. And because they were all looking about three feet in front of their front wheel, mm-hmm. which gives you the perception of going very, very fast. They were all dragging their brakes. Hmm. And I promise you, they, you, me, we could all sprint at those corners at a full gallop Mm -hmm. and not break it all and make it through those corners as long as we were looking through, even with no good cornering skill. They just weren't challenging corners. Yeah. And I timed it. So, you know, I videoed these guys and I timed it. I put my video camera up and then I did it myself. Mm -hmm. And it took them. Uh, my numbers remember this is 10 years ago, but it took them, let's say seven seconds to get through those corners. Mm-hmm. You know, the two corners combined. Yeah. It took me like four, but now oh, did it only wow. take four. I was using less energy. It takes a lot of energy to break because mm-hmm. you're resisting w- when you're breaking, your body wants to s- continue to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So you have to brace yourself against the bike. So you slow at the same rate the, the bike does. Right. So that takes energy. Secondly, I, I don't know. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, um, a radar gun, but <laughs> I exited that last corner, probably going twice as fast as they did. Right. Which means I covered that next straightaway at twice the speed they did while using less energy. Cause they probably, got on the pedals and sprinted across that straightaway. Mm-hmm. I probably did that straightaway faster than them. And I didn't pedal one bit. And you can see how that adds up all the way around a race course yeah. or just a track, sure. you know, a trail you're riding. It doesn't have to be a race course. And, you know, it's amazing. Cause I, I, I guarantee in my cross country race courses that you'll shave two minutes an hour off of your times. Like you can use Strava to, you know, to test this. Yeah. And I had a student, I don't know, five, six years ago, tell me, um, on the Sunday of the course, he's like, Gene, you know, I pretty much knew everything you've said in this course. I learned a little bit, but you know, I've got a six hour drive home and I don't want to drive at night. So I'm going to leave at noon. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, okay, you know, and he takes off and I'm thinking, okay, that's one of the students that's going to ask me for his money back on Monday. No biggie, you know, it it happens, right? I'd be explaining something and he was looking off in the distance, not even looking at me, you know, not even paying attention half the course, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, so anyway, sure enough, it wasn't Monday after the course. It was Tuesday after the course. I get an email from the guy Mm -hmm. and he was a, you know, serious expert cross cat one cross country racer in his thirties uh, or uh, in his forties, I think. And for those that don't know the 40 and over cat one class is the most cutthroat badass racers. Cause if you're still racing cross country over 40, you're a freaking stud, <laughs> you know, like, like there's no, there's no, 
you know, there's no uh, easy pickings. Like, well, at least I'll beat these four guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you're, you know, like you got to be on your A game. Yeah. So this guy, like a smart cross country racer, this guy used Strava. He used um, a heart rate monitor and a power meter, mm-hmm. you know, to track his progress. And the, one of the few times he was paying attention to my course, we were talking about it's great. And, and I recommend this to everyone listening. It's great if you have a loop that you do near your house fairly consistently. Uh-huh. It can, you know, because it's great for testing things. You can use Strava or a little stopwatch and say, okay, you know, my best lap is an hour or, you know, one hour, one minute and 30 seconds or, you know, whatever, you know, write that down. And then you say, I'm going to try less tire pressure, see if I'm faster, see if I'm slower, and then do it again, you know, especially if you have a heart rate monitor and or a power meter, because then you can try to maintain the same power and the same heart rate throughout the the ride, you know, and see if you got faster or slower. Yeah. So this guy had a course like that. So, and in the course he had told me, he goes, yeah, man, my record is one hour, one minute and 20 seconds, I think is what he said, something to that effect. So anyway, I get this email from him uh, on the Tuesday after my course ended on Sunday. This is the Tuesday after the course. And he said, hey, I wasn't really too stoked on your course. You know, I paid a lot of money, you know, and, uh, you know, I thought I knew most of that. Yeah. But I decided, you know, since I paid $800, I was going to use your vision techniques today Mm -hmm. and do that loop I told you about. And by the way, the vision techniques, a lot of what I teach, I've got to give credit. I learned from um, Keith Code, the the motorcycle coach I told you about earlier. Yeah. So uh, he went out and used those techniques. And he said, Gene, you know, you told me when you're looking ahead, it feels like you're going slower. And, you know, because, man, sure enough, I felt like I was going slower. The whole, you know, pretty much the whole ride, I felt like I was going a little slower than I usually do. And, you know, my heart rate monitor data and my power meter data backed that up. You know, I wasn't using my normal amount of power and, mm-hmm. you know, my heart rate was a little lower than normal. But, you know, I paid 850 bucks for that course. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to give this a good test. And mm-hmm. he goes, so I kept I kept focusing on, you know, looking ahead, using the vision techniques you taught me. And, you know, I got done. And again, I looked at the power meter, looked at my heart rate monitor while my Strava was loading. And I was a little disappointed, you know, because they were both, you know, lower than normal, not way lower. I don't remember the exact percentage, but, you know, they were lower than normal. And then he said, and then the Strava finally loaded and it said 56 minutes. Oh, geez. Wow. So I get it. So the, the next sentence cracked me up. So I guess your stuff might work. Except he used a different <laughs> word for stuff, I think. Right. Um, but, uh, right? It, and that blew me away, honestly. I did not think, especially, remember, this is his first day practicing those techniques. He's probably yeah. not particularly good at those vision techniques. I did not s- expect a really close to 10% time savings. Yeah. I expected a 3 to 5% time saving. But he saved 10%. Yeah, geez. You know, and... and I watch so many American down uh, cross country racers that, I mean, they've got to be as fit as those European racers. Mm-hmm. Well, why do they always get 10th place? Yeah. You know, or 11th place at world cups, you know, as their best finish. And a lot of it to me is they just don't have great technique. And unfortunately, and I'll say this is someone who, who fights with his ego constantly mm-hmm. their egos just get in the way because you know i i mentioned those guys that got top three at, at soul vista at the national championships I, I found two of them after the race and i approached them and said hey congratulations you know great job i was watching you ride today and i noticed a few things that you know you, you could improve on that would definitely <laughs> save you some time sure that went over and, well Oh God, it went over, you know, like a fart church, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, they took great offense to this and, yeah. I, you know, and I, I prefaced it with like, you know, I'm a coach 
I'm a right. professional downhill racer. This is what I do. Yeah. And you, you started know, with but, congratulations. So, so yeah, and I started with that. congratulations. I mean, I did my best <laughs> to not come off as I know everything and you suck or something. Cause mm-hmm. they obviously didn't suck. They just got the top three finishes, right. you know, in the national championships. One of them was a national champion, but it blew me away that, and this is a big difference between European mountain bike racers and American mountain bike racers and probably almost any other country, South African mountain bike racers even Hmm. is in every other country, they're looking for the smallest edge. They're looking for any edge. Yeah. Oh, if I eat, you know, four kiwi fruit before the race, I'm going to go faster. I'll try that. You know what I mean? Like they're looking for any edge. And here I was offering these people an edge and they, they didn't want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, and I do understand, you know, mountain biking is a very do-it-yourself sport Mm -hmm. and we're very do-it-yourself country. You know, everyone, you know, everyone wants to feel like they did it on their own, you know, and people Mm -hmm. tell me that, you know, Gene, you started better ride on your own, dude. You know, that's your business. You should be really proud. And, And I am really proud, but I didn't do it on my own. You know, no one, I mean, you know, I use the roads, my tax dollars and your tax dollars pay for, you know, to get to places. I use BLM land that I have permits for. Nathan Rennie helped me. Cedric Gracia helped me. Like I said, all these people helped me. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it on my own. You know, like Greg Menard didn't become who he is on his own. You know, right. it's mostly Greg. And Greg, Greg deserves all the praise he gets because he is a phenomenal person and 90% of it is his personal drive to win and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But he he's received a boatload of help along the way. And I think he would acknowledge, I know he would acknowledge that, yeah. but I- anyway, I'm off in left field again, but um, you know, it, it's sad to me because um, the only course I have right now that isn't selling well is my cross country race course. Huh? And, and no one needs this more than cross country racers, <laughs> right? You That's know, because yeah. just because they race the longest, mm-hmm. so a small percent of difference can make the biggest gain for them, uh, you know, yeah. than it would in a downhill race. I mean, one percent right. faster in a downhill race, in a you know, in a two minute race is barely a second, you know, because that's one hundred twenty seconds. A one percent difference in a two hour race is a massive difference. Right. You know, even better a five or, or in the case of that one student of mine, a 10% difference the day after my course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, even as you found in the early nineties, you know, racing is competitive, you know, even at every level. And if, if you, if you want to win, you know, there, you gotta, you gotta put in the work and, it's interesting too. the student you mentioned that um, saw such a big improvement just from focusing on vision. You know, I think a lot of us too, it's like, we may be really good at some of the skills, but then there's like that one thing that's like really, really holding us back. And yeah, you'll never know what that is until you, you break it down and start working on each of the parts kind of individually. Yeah. I mean, again, just like in snow skiing, when I started to learn how to do everything correctly before, you know, when I was a pro before I started better ride, you know, almost everything that's intuitive is wrong. (laughs) So, you know, um, I've had so many students that have been riding, like, I don't know if you know, um, who Bryson Martin is Bryson Martin senior, um, owns and started, uh, DVO suspension. Okay. And his son, Bryson Martin Jr., was a pro motocrosser and uh, a pro downhill racer. So he um, he took one of my courses from me. And at the time, Bryson Martin owned uh, Tenneco USA, which was basically Marzocchi USA. Mm-hmm. And Bryson said, hey, can I sit in? You know, I'll, I'll be on my phone doing business a lot, but when I'm not on my phone – can I sit in on the course? And I'm thinking you own Marzocchi, you know, yes, you can sit in, you know, this might, this might be good for me. So, and I didn't know this, but Bryson has been mountain biking since the eighties. Oh, wow. And Bryson is a badass. Like he will whip my, 
he will whip my tail in a cross country race, you know, mm-hmm. or probably an enduro type race. If, you know, like I, you know, downhill, I'm sure I'd beat him. Well, I'm not sure, but I think I'd beat him. <laughs> but, um, but he can definitely, you know, outpedal me. And he'd been riding for 30 years. And at the end of the course, he was like, thank you for finally teaching me how to ride after 30 years. Oh, wow. I was doing so much wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, that was, that was just, you know, one of the proudest moments of, uh, of my career, really, when you have someone with his background say that. But I've had so many students say that. And again, I'm not bragging about my coaching. I'm just bragging about coaching in general in anything that you do. You know, if you go out mm-hmm. and play golf every day, and meanwhile, I'm taking lessons. Right now, you might be able to whip my butt. But in two years, if I took two years of golf lessons, at the end of those two years, I'm going to be way better than somebody that's a self-taught golfer. I guarantee you that. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And the, the difference with mountain biking is mountain biking is kind of dangerous. <laughs> you know, golf's not so dangerous. Right. You know, whereas mountain biking is pretty dangerous. So it's just one of those things that, you know, if if we could be more like the Europeans and go, wow, you know, I know a lot about this sport, but I bet there's some stuff I don't know. And maybe there's some stuff I do know that I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should look into this before, you know, anyone listening thinks I'm just trying to sell my product. If you look at my schedule, most of my courses sell out already. I, I don't really need any more business. Mm-hmm. I just want to help people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and this is a great way to get better, you know, at anything yeah. that you do. Yeah. Definitely. Well, this is part one of our conversation with Gene. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of our interview. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.